Amen. You may be seated. It is so good to be together with those of us in the room. It's so grateful to share this time together with you. Uh, For those of you online, we're so grateful to have this moment and this time together with you. Uh, Happy Memorial Day weekend. And we are so thankful for those of you who are here, who are active duty or you have previously served. And today we do remember and we're so thankful for those who we remember for their sacrifice and um, who have lost their lives while serving. And we're so thankful for what this uh, weekend means Uh, as it gives us a time to pause and remember them. Um, If you're new with us in the room, uh, we do have a gift for you today. We'd love to give you that gift after the service. We'll have a host at the welcome table by the green wall in the back of the room. If you'll make your way back there right before you leave, and they'd love to give you a gift for being with us today. If you're online, they are posting a link right now in in our church online that you can click, and we would love to send you a gift Uh, for being new with us online today. Hey, Westside, let's uh, thank everyone that's watching online and everyone who's new with us in the room. Will you help me uh, show them how much we're grateful that they're here? Will you do that with us? Yeah. Now, parents, um, you may relate to this. And kids, uh, we know you relate to this. How many times has your child ever said, uh, five more minutes? Just five more minutes. Bedtime, you know it's bedtime. It only comes at bedtime, right? Hey, hey, mom, dad, can we just have five um, more minutes? Or can I just finish the show? And you go, how much time's left? And it's like an hour left. No, you can't finish the show. <laughs> five more minutes, you know? And, you know, I was, we were talking about this with our, our, our staff, and, and I was like, it's innocent at 10. And Caleb stopped me right there, and he goes, uh, he, Caleb's our student director, led worship today. And, uh, and he goes, no, it's not. He goes, it's innocent at 5. It's devious at 10. And, and after the first service, my wife texted me. She goes, it's a power struggle at 16. <laughs> Which I don't know why she said that, because we don't have a 16-year-old. Maybe she was the power struggle. <laughs> I'm kidding. She's online right now with our church online, and I'm so grateful for her and John uh, with our church online uh, to folks today. Um, but I mean, but as adults, think about this. As adults, do we really grow past this? I mean, after all, we kind of convince ourselves and we tell ourselves one more won't hurt. Really? I mean, one more. I mean, I can click that link one more time. I can, I can send one more text. I can... I can do one more day. I can start tomorrow or I can stop tomorrow. Says every one of us at the beginning of the year, right? Um, See, here's the reality. When when no one is monitoring yourself, when no one's monitoring me or no one's monitoring ourselves and we're not, we don't have anyone over us supervising us in those moments, we can easily ask ourselves something. is, Is one more really a bad thing? I mean, really, how close can I get and be, how how close is close enough? Now, unfortunately, in this thinking, one more often results in having less of what we value most. If we paused and we just thought about that, we'd recognize this. I mean, really, after all, has anyone ever really seen that one more drink 
made something that much better? Or it, 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 it thought, it, or having um, one more hour at work it, over multiple times, like really did one more hour, um, was it good for the relationship that you wanted to have with those you value most? Did one more click on that link, see one more click on that link, you might think, hey, it won't hurt. But multiple one clicks over time will have an impact, a negative impact, and infect your marriage. See, one more thing added to an Amazon cart, one more bite, one more whatever it may be. See, one more, more than likely, doesn't help. One more doesn't help your relationships. One more doesn't help your finances. One more doesn't help your health. And often one more doesn't help our souls. So why do we do this? Why do we do this to ourselves? Well, we assume something. See, we assume one more doesn't hurt us. And that's the problem. It's our assumptions. Our assumptions can be the biggest impact, can can be the biggest problem that we have. See, unless we challenge these, unless you challenge your assumptions, you're going to operate according to your assumptions. Unless you challenge what you presume to be true, you're going to just operate according to these. And here are some assumptions that that really we operate by, and, and maybe not you, but maybe I've operated it by, and maybe as a young person, you've seen other people operate by these. And you know, like, like the one that is, if it's not wrong, then it must be right, correct? If it's not wrong, well, what's wrong with it? If it's not, there's nothing wrong with it, then it must be all right for me to do. Or the one that it's, if it's not illegal, <laughs> then it's doable. If it's not immoral, then it's permissible. If it's not crossing the line, then, well, obviously I'm fine. Which brings up a great question. How close to the line can we get? Now let's think about it in our spiritual life, our relationship with God. How close to the line of sin can we get before we cross the line? I mean, isn't this a question that we often ask or we we use as a filter how and 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 then how far can we go with him or her in the dating relationship how far can you go with him or her before you dishonor god because that's what sin is sin is when we dishonor god and we dishonor someone else they and when 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 you how, how far can you go with someone before you dishonor god how far can can you do this how long can you go in a marriage how long can you work before it begins to hurt your marriage or your family? How close can you get to the line of being unethical and and make it more easier for yourself in life? that that, That thinking actually leads somewhere because that thinking actually leads many people who think this way to eventually begin to ask, how long can we do this before we get caught in this? Or how long can I use this substance or do this behavior until I become addicted to this behavior? Or how long can I do this before someone finds out that I'm doing this? Or before she sees that I'm doing this? Or before he finds out that this is what's really going on? 
See, and once addicted to something, for those that deal with addiction, it becomes how much more can I do before it, it, it really becomes an impact on them. And we assume something. See, we assume that if it's not wrong, if it's not illegal, if it's not moral, immoral, then it's good, it's right, and it's okay. And we assume that it's good for us as long as it doesn't take us across that line. It's good. As long as it doesn't take us across that line of sin. And it's because we assume that the right question to ask is, well, is there anything wrong with that? And maybe is not, but more on that in a minute. We've been in this series called God's Will, No Regrets. Here's a series big idea that we've been looking at for the last several weeks. When you follow God's will, you will have no regrets. When you follow God's will, you will have no regrets. And over the last couple of weeks, over the last three weeks, we've discovered what God's will is for our life. We're looking at, we're looking at scripture to understand, to, to, to be able to know what God's will is for our life. And, and three weeks ago, we looked at this idea that it is God's will for you to live in truth. This is God's will for you. He wants you to live in truth. And so we came out with each of these past three weeks, we've come out with a question, knowing that this is God's will, so we can ask this question in those difficult moments, in those decisions that we have, in those pivotal moments that we all have every day. And that after that, three weeks ago, after we talked about is it God's will for us, that, that it is God's will for us to live in truth, we asked this question, am I being honest with myself? But we just didn't ask it that way because we know we can deceive ourselves. We know that you are the best salesperson to you to tell you what you want to do instead of what you ought to do. <laughs> Am I being honest with myself really? And then two weeks ago, we discovered that it's God's will for you to honor God for your life to honor him. This is God's will for you. That not that you just live in truth, but that you live in a life that you live a life that honors God. That every decision you make, every choice that you make that becomes a part of your story, that your story honors God. And so we ask this question at the end of that. What story do you want to tell? What story do you want to tell? At the end of the day, at the end of your life, do you want to tell a story that honors God or do you want to have a story that you hide because of regret? And then last week, we, we looked at this idea that it's God's will for you to obey his truth and, and, and to live in his truth. That, that it's, it's God's will that you obey his truth in scripture and that you respond to his voice. This is God's will for us. We obey and we respond to him. And so we, we need to explore and not ignore this tension in our conscience. And so we ask this question, is there a tension that demands my attention? And in this course of this series, we've been looking at two powerful, powerful verses, two passages in Scripture that have led the New that are in the New Testament that have guided us in understanding God's will. And the first one is Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And this is what Paul would say to the church in Rome. He would write them. He would just explain the entire gospel of Jesus in one of the most brilliant writings about the gospel of Jesus. And then in verse 12, he tells us our response to this. He goes, therefore, in view of God's mercy, and in other words, in all of this gospel message of his love for you, this is what you are to do to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. I want, you to, I want you to just circle those, highlight those words, holy and pleasing. Those are so important. Holy, this is your 
response. Offer your body to God as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then at this moment, after you do this, this is when you're going to be able to test and approve what God's will is. And then he gives you an eye insight. It's good, pleasing, and his perfect will. See, Paul gives us insight into what God sees as true worship and proper worship to him. See, it's God's will for you and I to be holy and pleasing to God. And the way we do this is by being a living sacrifice. Now, this is different than the pattern of cultural thought. Because you know what culture teaches you? The philosophy of culture is you live your life in a way that pleases who? You. That I live my life. This is, the, this is my way of living. Culture baits you to live for you. Culture thinks that it, the philosophy of culture is to get you to think that you live in a way that pleases you. But God's way is not what pleases you. God says, the best way for you, my will for you, is you live in a way that pleases me. And this is different than the pattern and the philosophical views of culture. See, culture thinks, how close to this line of regret can I get? Culture says, you, you ought to be able to get as close to that line as you can. It baits you and I to the line. If it's not illegal, get a little closer. It's doable. If it's not immoral, then come a little closer. It's, it's, it's permissible. If, it's, if it, it baits you to the edge of regret. And we have to change our thinking into what pleases God, not what pleases me, want whatever I can do to get as close to that line, but to be holy. You know what holy means? Set apart. That's what holy means, to be set apart. How, how, it's not about how close you can get, it's how far away can I be? Because I want to be one who pleases him. And we have to change our thinking. And we have to change our thinking. And, that, because, and, and this, then we're going to find out, see, that's good. And you have a plan for you. You have a, a will for you. You have a way. And you think it's perfect for you. You think it's what's good for you. And you think it's going to be the thing that's going to please you. But God, what you're going to find out as you follow his way for you, that's pleasing to him, that you're going to find out that his will for you is really what's best and good for you. And you're going to find out that his will for you is what is perfect and better than your plan. And you're going to find out that it's more pleasing than anything else you could ever experience. And this is why we've been praying this prayer, the series big prayer, that Father, and we've been praying it in this posture of open hands because we don't want to hold on to our way. Father, I want your will more than I want my way. Show me your will for today. And it's been so encouraging to hear how you've been activating this in your life and you've been using this as a part in participating in this prayer through your daily life and I appreciate those of you that shared those stories with me now there's another passage in scripture that we've been looking at that we're going to really look at today and it's Ephesians 5 and in verse 17 it says this do not therefore do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is now in scripture there is this um idea that whenever you see therefore you need to see what it's there for Okay, so we're going to see why this is there. 
We're going to see what this is there for. And, and so in order to do this, we're going to back up to chapter 5, verse 1, and we're going to see why he says this today. And, and, and when he says this, he goes, I understand the Lord's will. And have you ever talked to your kids and said, you understand this? <laughs> and you're not asking them to understand the reason why, are you? You're wanting them to follow this. You're, you're saying, you understand this. <laughs> Obey this. Come under this. That's what you're telling them, right? This is the way Paul's language is here. It's not that understand it and figure it out and, you know, know the whole reasons why and where you look. Oh, that's why you did it. No, he's saying, you follow this. You follow this. So we're going to see why this is there. And so in verse 1, this is there. But he's also saying, you may not know the reason why. You just need to follow this and obey this. So this is what he's saying here. Verse 1, it says this. Look at this with me. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up. And I want you to circle this word right here, for. See, God loved us, and the way that God loved us is Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. God sent Jesus to show you his love for you. And as as a fragrant offering and sacrifice, and I want you to circle this preposition, to God. See, you and I are to follow God's example. And that example is the way of love expressed through the life and modeled through the life of Jesus, through his selfless, sacrificial life that he gave to God for the world. See, it is God's will that you follow Jesus who loves you and gave himself to God for you. You need to understand how these prepositions work in this. See, Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice to God for us. And God's will is that we follow his example and we give ourselves selflessly to God for others. So how do we do this? Well, Paul doesn't leave us without understanding. He gives us insight on how we give ourselves selflessly to God for others. And in verse 3, he says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Why? Are these improper? Do we, because this is not the example, first of all, that Jesus gave. And secondly, these are all selfish indulgences. They're all self-pleasing and not pleasing to God. These are all selfish indulgences that dishonor God when we engage in these. It's not selfless and they dishonor God and they don't set us apart for God. See, it's not how close to the line can I get. It's how far apart and how far apart I can set myself for Christ, for God. See, and to God. See, God's call on all of our life is to be set apart, holy. That's what holy means, set apart. And then in verse 4, he says, Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. 
See, not only do these activities that we engage in verbally dis, not dishonor God, these do not honor others. And so we speak in a way with thanksgiving, with gratitude. We, 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 this is what comes out of our mouth. And then in verse 5, he says, For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now you may look at that and go, what on earth is an idolater? Well, an idolater is anyone who puts anything in the place of God. That's what an idolater is. Anyone who puts anything in the place that God has and puts it in before him. And when we sin with, by, by putting something in the place of God or in the, in, in, ahead of God, and when we, we put what we want as the priority of a life, or we put what we want ahead of what God wants for our lives, we, we, become, we create an idol out of that thing. And, and that's what we do when we sin. And we put something in dishonor God by replacing God with something we would rather have. See, God's place is first in our life. This is his place. This is his will for you, that he sits first in your life. And anything that displaces God from being first becomes an idol. Now, here's the hope. Because God has given you and I a brand new heart. Because when we put our trust in Jesus, he puts, gives us a brand new heart that, that has, to, has to grow. It, it grows and it, and it strengthens and, and, and it becomes the, 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 the life that God's given us. And, and in this, the Holy Spirit now gives us this strength to walk in his truth. And this is why Paul says what's next. Let no one deceive you. You know what deception is? It's lie. It's a lie. And who, we lie to ourselves and who else? Culture lies to us. And he goes, he goes, let no one deceive you with empty words because, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them for you were once in darkness. This is what you used to be. Family of God, people of God, you used to be in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And what's Paul say? Live as children of light. What's that look like? For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out, and look what he says here. Find out what pleases the Lord. Because God saved you, because of the work of Jesus for you, and when we receive salvation, we receive the new life, we now are the family of God. And to be the family of God is we are children of light. And light stands out in the darkness. And light, people that are children of love, they, they don't live in a way that pleases themselves. They live in a way that pleases God. And when you and I find out what pleases God, we'll be motivated. This is the motivation to honor him. And then he goes on in verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Why? Because you're children of light. And he goes on, but rather expose them. It's shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And then Paul writes what we've been looking at over the last several weeks. Be very careful then how you live. Be very careful then. Because 
There are things out to deceive you. There, there, there are voices out there to lead you away. Be very careful in how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We need to live as wise. We need to live as wise, and that, must, we be, mean, that, that, that means we must be very careful to not be foolish. We must be very careful to understand what the Lord's will is, what pleases him. Because that's what following God's example is. Jesus lived in a way that pleased God. And to follow God's example and li- it, it, it is to live a life that pleases him. And that's the wise thing to do. It, it, it's to live a life that pleases him. And so here's a teaching big idea I, wanna leave, uh, I, wanna, I hope that you just grab today. See, it is God's will that you are wise by following Jesus' example to be pleasing in God's eyes. It is God's will that you live as wise by following Jesus' example to be pleasing in God's eyes. Following Jesus and doing what is wise pleases And if we live solely to please ourselves or you live solely to please someone else, you know, if you just live for yourself all the days of your life, when you come to the end of your life, what will you have for yourself? Not much because we've been to those funerals, haven't we? Where the person lived just to please themselves. And the words that were said about that weren't words of integrity, were they? And everyone knew it. But when you and I live in a wise way that pleases God, that honors him, and lives in a way that adds value to others, and, 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 and we selflessly do this, when we come to the end of our life, you'll have something that pleases, your life will be a story that pleases the Lord. And you know what? Your life will stand out just like light stands out. In a dark world, more than ever, this is where the church of God gets to stand out in a world, that a culture that is shutting God out. Now, I want to go back to verse 8 because this is so important. For you were once in darkness... We, this is who we were. We were once in darkness, but we are light in the Lord. And then he says, live as children of the light. And then he says this, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Three things that we need to key in on. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. And he says, find out what pleases the Lord. And I think Paul's given us insight. This is what pleases God. What, what, the goodness, righteousness, and truth pleases him. And, and this is who we are. We are light in the Lord, and this is how we live as pleasing, as light in a dark world, as children of light. We follow God's example. And Paul gives us God's example right here. See, follow God's example. This is what we do. We do what is good. We do what is right. And we live in truth. This is God's example for you and I. See, this is the life Jesus lived, and it is the example that we follow. 
We, we, so what is good? Well, do you remember the, the story? Maybe you don't, but there's this in the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Jesus is approached and someone says, good teacher to him. And he says to them, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And in this moment, Jesus does not dev- deny his divinity. He actually acknowledges it through just this in- intrinsic way, in- an interesting way. And he says, hey, only God is good. And he's admitting that he is good. He's not denying his goodness. Jesus shows us the good example to follow. He, he shows us what is good because he is what is good. And then what is right? I mean, what is the right thing to do? Well, when you follow God's example in Jesus, and the reason is because Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I can't live. That's the beautiful thing. This is the gospel of Jesus. He lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. He lived the perfect righteous life. And he did this for two reasons. One, because he knew you and I couldn't live it. And so his righteousness becomes the gift to you and I when we receive him as Savior, following him as Lord. We receive his righteousness because we are not our works. We are his finished work, okay? Second thing he does is he models for us the right way that we are to follow. See, the gospels aren't just written to teach you about God and teach you about Jesus. The gospels are written so you and I can follow him. And we can follow his right way of living. And then what is truth? I mean, what is truth? In in an age where that's the question is what's true and what's true with you is most important, they say. But what is truth? Well, Jesus is truth. He said, I am the way, the truth. And when you follow him, like he said in John 8, he would say, if, if you are my disciples and you obey my teaching, then you will know the truth. If you follow my teachings, then you will know the truth. And what's he say about the truth? The truth will set you free. See, this is the light that the family of God is in this dark world. It's God's will that we are a living example of what is good, that we are living examples of what is right and just, that you and I are living examples of what is truth, that you and I, we act in a way that is good because we're, we're, we've got, we're following his good example, a compassionate example. We, we do what is right. We do what is just in the moment that we need to because we follow his example and we follow his example because he is truth. This is the light and it's God's will that we are wise by following Jesus' example to be pleasing in God's eyes. And then in verse 15, he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. And then he says this, because the days are evil. I mean, really, are we in evil days? We live in a a moral philosophy right now or a cultural philosophy that, that, that really says it's culture is morally neutral. But the reality is culture is not morally neutral. We need to recognize this. It is not morally neutral in our culture. We, our, our culture is influenced, and we need to recognize that culture is influenced by lies and philosophies that lead you and I to satisfy desires that can only be satisfied by God. That's what culture does. And so what culture does is it baits you and I to this edge. Everywhere you go, 
online, you are one click away. You are one click away from doing something that could hurt and ruin and could lead to regret. Could lead to regret financially, relationally. It could, it could, it could, it could wreck something. You are one text away, and culture will say, it's not wrong just to send, send the test, just a text to see if there's interest. It's not wrong to send that message. You, 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 we, you and I are one step away, and I say this sincerely. We are all one step away from evil, from doing something that dishonors God and dishonors someone else. John Maxwell said this one day in a conference. He said, we are all one step from stupid. He said it more poetically than I could ever. <laughs> See, this is why we must follow God's example and be pleasing in God's eyes. And we need to ask ourselves a question. It's not a morality question. It's not a matter of, is this right or is this wrong? It's not a question of how close to this line can I get? We need to ask a different question. It's a question of spiritual maturity. It's a question that we need to ask, that, that mature Christians ask. Because mature Christians, you know what mature Christians do not do? Mature Christians do not toe the line. Mature Christians don't hug the line. Mature Christians please God by following Jesus' example and doing what is wise and pleasing in God's eyes. So we need to ask a, a mature question, a maturity question. And not what is permissible, not is it legal, and not is it culturally acceptable. We need to ask it this way. What is the wise thing for me to do? What is the, and not the wise thing for your spouse, not the wise thing for your best friend, not the wise thing for your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Put yourself in the, the subject line. What is the wise thing for me to do? And when you look at the example of Jesus, when you look at the example that he gives us, what is the wise thing for you to do to live in a way that pleases God? And that dating relationship that you have, what is the wise thing for you to do? How are you going to live in a way that, that pleases God? In, in, in your marriage, what is the wise thing for you to do? What is, what is the way that pleases him, that honors him in your marriage? In, in, in parenting with your kids, what is the wise thing for you to do? In your finances, what is the wise thing? What is the way that pleases God? Can you do it as permissible? Yeah. Is it morally acceptable? Culturally? Yeah. Does it please him? What, what pleases him? And I want to give you three ways to ask this question. And these three ways, including this question, are not my own. It came from a book that I read about 16, yeah, maybe more than that. I'm older now. Um, um, years ago, and it's called The Best Question Ever. And it came from this passage of scripture what is the wise thing to do? And there's three ways to ask this question I think is brilliant. And the first one is this. In light of your past experiences, what is the wise thing to do? I mean, you know you. You know what you're predisposed. You know that in certain situations, you may bend towards a certain way. There might be a relationship pattern that you have. And, and is this person just like those relationships? In light of your past experiences, what is the wise thing for you to do? In knowing your history, man, you make these financial decisions when you're in these pressured moments. What's the wise thing for you to do? Does, does this put you one step away from regret? What's the wise thing for you to do? In light, secondly, in light of your current situation, what is the wise thing for you to do? With how things are going in your marriage, 
What's the wise thing for you to do? How are you going to follow? Is this, how can you follow God's example? And live as wise, being pleasing in God's eyes. What's the wise thing for you to do? It, with, with your family, in your workload, what's the wise thing for you to do? With your bank account, what's the wise thing for you to do? And then the last thing is this. In light of your future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for you to do? Um, in light of the marriage that you want to have, and let me just tell you, your intentions, while they're noble, they get you nowhere. It's the decisions you make that take you down the direction that you go. In light of what you want your marriage to be, in light of what your family, you want that relationship with your kids to be, what's the wise thing for you to do? In light of what you believe God is calling you to do and who God is calling you to be, like Jesus, what is the wise thing for you to do that pleases him? See, you can live in a way that pleases you and culture. You can give into the pressure of culture and the voice of culture that baits you and I to this edge to do whatever you want that pleases you. As long as you don't cross a line that really no one knows where that line is. Or you and I can live in a way that's set apart, that stands out in a culture that shuts God out. And we, can, we can live in a way that says, no, we live in such a different way. We live in a way that pleases God. And we do what is wise and pleasing in his eyes. See, asking this question, I'll just end with this real quick. Asking this question in light of following Jesus' example, it will bring convicting clarity as to what God's will is for you to do. I've learned this. It can bring convicting clarity. In that moment, is it right? Is it permissible? Yeah. Is it wise? There have been many times that we've put that back on the shelf. There have been many, many times we've said no to an opportunity. There have been many times that we've decided to not do something because it wasn't wise. We wanted to please God. We wanted to live in a way that pleased Him because it's God's will that you are wise by following Jesus' example to be pleasing in God's eyes. And it's not easy to do what's wise. It's hard to say no. It's hard to do this. But in doing what is wise, you will live a life (laughs) that you will have no regrets. Now think about this. If you're being honest with yourself, (laughs) you're living in truth and being honest with yourself. You're going to know what is truth and you're going to know what the right thing to do is. And if if, if you're making decisions that honor God, If you're making the wise choice, asking yourself what kind of, what what pleases him, what kind of decision do you think you're going to make at the end of the day? And at the end of the day, if you don't understand what the wise thing to do is, James tells us that you can ask God who always leads you, who wants to give you the wise thing. He wants to lead you in his wisdom. Every night at bedtime, our kids, we pray the same prayer. I've told you about this in the past and There are two parts of this prayer I just want to share with you as we end. The first one is this. We get to a part and we say, Father, give us the wisdom to know what is wise, right, and what honors you in everything we think, say, 
and do. And then we ask him, Father, give us the courage to do what is wise, right, and what honors you in everything we think, everything we say, and everything we do. Why? Because I want them to know what God's will is for their life. I want them to live in every day knowing what God's will is for them to do. I want them to live in a way that honors God and it's pleasing in his eyes and they know then what is wise to do. And I want them to see that in me. Cassie and I want them to see that in us. And so right now we're just gonna pause and I want you to pray this with us. We're one big family. It's not bedtime though. But will you bow your heads and in the posture we've been praying, will you just open your hands? And you know the choices that you're making. Maybe there's a situation right now that you're in and you're going, man, this is so relevant to me today. As we close, can we close? And will you just say this prayer? I'll give you the words. After this, you can make this prayer your own. But will you pray with me? Say, Father, show me what is wise. Write in what honors you. In everything I think, say, and do. And Father, give me the courage to do what is wise, right, and what honors you. In everything I think, say, and do. Father, this is our prayer. Because we want to live in a way that is wise. We want to follow Jesus' example. To live a life of selfless sacrifice to you for others. And we want to live in a way that honors God. We want to please him. And we want to please you. So Father, may we follow your example that's set in Jesus. And may we live as wise and be pleasing in your eyes, in your name. Amen. Our prayer partners would love to pray with anyone today. And God bless you, Westside. Have a great rest of your weekend. We'll see you next Sunday.